Hi, my name is LJ Morais. I'm the host and creator of Black Lives Natter, a UK podcast and platform for black and global majority voices to be heard. Today, we're recording at the Bush Theatre with guests Lynette Linton, the Artistic Director, and Dan Bailey, Associate Director. We discuss theatre, life, creativity, and upcoming projects. Come join us for a natter. Welcome Lynette and Dan to the studio here in the compact and bijou meeting room. Welcome. It's so nice to be back at the bush and it's nice to finally have you both in a room together after a year of trying to pin you both down. You're very busy. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks LJ. Thanks for having us. It's good to have it's good to see you back here at the bush. We belong. Yeah, we miss you. I love it here, honestly. As soon as I got in here, I was like, I'm home. (laughs) I love this building. I've got so many memories, you know, just working here and putting on shows and just the support that you've actually given Black Lives Matter. You know, we did our launch here and everything. So just, yeah, very, very happy to be back. Okay, well, we're just going to go straight into it. Um, So what I always like to start with is like um, a sort of cultural and creative background question. Um, It lays the foundations for our listeners to have an understanding and connection with you. Also highlights the rich variety of black Britishness. So if you both want to just talk a little bit about your background, where your parents are from, where you grew up, whether you've always lived in the UK, that's a lot of questions. (laughs) Lynette. Uh, so I'm a East Londoner. This is a, a conversation we have every day. I grew up in Leytonstone. Oh boy! And now I'm in West, but I'm I'm an East Londoner through and through. Um, my mum is Northern Irish and my dad is Guyanese. And I've always lived in London, apart from a brief spell where um, I lived in Ireland for about three months. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, um, Ireland was one of the first places to grant women the vote and also to abolish slavery I mean my like Ireland is great like as I said my mum's Northern Irish but I had a uh, yeah I I lived there when I was eight and it was very racist Mm. at that point that was 1997 98 giving away my age Mm. so it it is a place that has has lovely I've got family there but it was it was a lot basically Uh, yeah difficult especially in the past I mean things are getting better now which is good exactly Dan hey um West Londoner at the moment, originally born in North West London to two Jamaican parents. So two Jamaican parents from Clarendon specifically, which is a parish, I think it's um, east of uh, east of Kingston. So yeah, I'm, J- Jamaica's been very much part of my, my upbringing and my life. And yeah, grew up in North West London in, in, in a place called St. Raffs in Neasden and Halsden, and then moved over to the, the outskirts of West. So, West is very much a part of me, North West London is very much a part of me, and Jamaica, I'd say, yeah. Well, we've got that sort of Caribbean vibe thing going on, which is great. Um, yeah, I mean, my father hailed from Kingston, Jamaica as well, and we just had a talk about that before we were recording, of just about names and surnames and, you know, uh, still having our slave names, which, um, you know, I remember saying this like 20-odd years ago, and people going, what? You know, and this was at the time I was listening to Erica Badu and she changed her name because her yeah. surname was a slave name. So, yeah, I mean, that's how we're still rooted in slavery when we're still carrying the names of our masters. It's crazy. And I, I still don't know how I feel about that, whether that should be something, whether they should be reclaim it and change it. I don't know. Yeah, I started with my son. I changed one. He's still got my surname, but I think I've always, I've always pondered, like, whether I change my surname. I probably will, but it's... 
it's kind of difficult when people kind of know you as, uh, as that name, right? The, the name you were given when you were born. But for, for Oman, I've given him two separate, I've given him two names, which is Oman Mediba, which, you know, Mediba being um, Nelson Mandela's house name. Just oh. because I was like, actually, it's about him reclaiming it a little bit and, and making sure that he feels connected to, to the continent of Africa and where we originally came from and kind of like shunning the, 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 the slave name. Yeah. Which I've always had a, it's always been, a, it's always been something that sat on, sat on my heart and sat on my soul. Yeah, probably at some point I'll change that name. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way um, about my name as well. And you 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 like you have it, and then you think, yeah, it's um I suppose it's part of decolonization. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm definitely going in, it, you know, going through this phase of sort of decolonization of the mind. I realise that, you know, I know quite a lot about. Uh, British history and you know white British culture and you know my mission over this year is to really dig into um, African culture and history mm-hmm. um, which is so broad yeah. um, and which is why you know Black Lives Matter is is great because it sort of it shows the sort of broad landscape of, of blackness and black Britishness which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. particular in itself which leads us beautifully on to the question of what it does it mean t- to you black British? What does it mean to be a black British person? What do you think the black British experience is? Um, do we have a place here? This is something that's been cropping up a, a lot recently. Wow, okay. That's a big question. <laughs> that's a big do we question. have a place here? Yeah, wow. I mean, there's no one, it's literally what you just said in, before introducing that question, there's no one black British experience. And I think that's so important to state, particularly in the in the world that we live in, which is the arts, in that like, it feels there's quite a lot of pressure for black British creatives to be like, tell the black British story. And it's like, yo, there's no, like, what does that actually mean? Mm. We're all in this room. We're all so different. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, just sitting here, we've all got different stories, we've all got different backgrounds. And so there's no one answer yeah. to that question. So my first instinct was like, black Britishness is, is I was going to say everything, and that sounds too broad, but it is as well. You know what I mean? Like, cause we represent everything. We are yeah. everything. Mm. And we shouldn't be put into this box of black Britishness. But at the same time, it's incredibly specific as well, in that like, our stories are specific and need to be told too. I can't, do you know what I mean? It's like a, yeah. all of that mm-hmm. exists in one thing and the, both of those things can be correct. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I was talking about this. Um, maybe things need to be boxed so that there can be an acknowledgement of what it is. Yeah. So then we can get to the place where we become unboxed. Mm. Um, but, you know, on the way here, you know, where I live, um, near Kingston, which is very white, um, um, there was a, there was a guy with a car with like the George Cross thing on his, Mm. on his car. And, and I sort of started thinking about, you know, what it means for people to be English. When I see that, I immediately go to racism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, of what that flag, feel, yeah, 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 it makes yeah. Me feel but that's but I completely agree. Like I say, it's everything, and then I say it's specific as well. Because I'm incredibly proud to be Black British, and that feels very specific. And my specific identity in that is, I'm from London. Mm-hmm. I'm really proud of of like slang and where I'm from and mm. that culture. And when we chat and we talk about like, oh, well, it's a it's a it's a Black British thing, or it's a London thing, or it's a Black London thing. There's you know what I mean. There's mm. specifics within each specific is yeah. what I, is what I mean. You know, and then it's everything. Yeah. that makes sense yeah. but I do want to get to a world where we're not still at university being like okay now let's study the black British book mm. like it's like yeah. yo let's just 
know what I mean? We're still in that, you know. I quite like the distinction of Black British. I I know that might sound um, kind of, I I don't know, um, what is the right word for it? It it might sound like um, a bit of this, like an an opposition in a sense, but it's not, I, I I quite like the, the different the differentiation of not just being British but being Black yeah, yeah. British and, and, and it almost feeling like a subculture. I, I and it's like, an acknowledgement as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And it, that acknowledgement that I am slightly other and actually I embrace that otherness mm. so much. I, I love I love being Black British. I love having connection to a diasporic space. I love mm. being, you know, I love that within the within our community that there are you know that we do come from elsewhere and that we can come from elsewhere and some people don't have the connection with that which is unfortunate but to know that you do come from elsewhere that you can exist elsewhere for me is it is um it goes back to that question that you asked like do we belong here mm-hmm. like, to an extent yeah of course we do you know we've been here for centuries we all know this, right? Mm. We know we've been here since Roman days before that. And we've built, built and rebuilt the precisely. cities, um, you know, in this land, you know. So, yeah. So we, we, belo- so we do belong here. I mean, we're in the history, right? We're in the, we're in the, we're in the ground. Like, we are literally in the ground here and we've, we've built this place. Um, so, yeah, we belong here, but we also belong elsewhere. Yeah. And I love that. I love yeah. that I can go, yeah, but I belong elsewhere. In the same way that someone who's who is English or who is maybe Welsh or like Scottish, um, um, Irish goes, oh yeah, I belong to. <laughs> <laughs> Love a bit of urbanism. Yeah, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> yeah, in the same way that you know, someone from from Scotland could be like, oh yeah, I belong to Scotland as well. You know, Great Britain. I'm like, yeah, nah, cool. I belong. I belong somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And even beyond that, I belong somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I think that is it's important for us to acknowledge that as well as for everyone else yeah, to acknowledge that. I Depend, yeah, I completely agree with that as well. But yeah. Yeah, and, and I think you know, um, celebrating difference is a good thing. Yeah. You know, there's room for oh, for it all. You know, um, and um, you know, for for so, I mean, I'm 50 this year, and I've I've seen the landscape change um, incredibly, um, and it's wonderful to see what's been happening over the past five years. You know, um, mm-hmm. and sad that some of it is happening because of. The Black Lives Matter movement, Um, but that's where we are. So it's really nice to see the change, conversations, the art, you know, the you know, folk. I just remember being a kid and just wherever I looked, there wasn't anyone who looked like me, Mm. you know. So it was really difficult in terms of identity. So yeah, that's an amazing thing. So we're now going to go into the creative bit and um, talk a little bit about uh, your work and theatre directing and I know that you both started as writers is that correct almost almost yes for me <laughs> yeah I started as a writer or oh, as an actor as well I suppose yeah yeah might have an actor in it yeah. Try, trying to be we just did everything we did, yeah, just trying to work out we where we belonged like, like <laughs> what am? What yeah, but here? I think acting was, was one of the things that kind of allowed us to open the door but obviously you was, you've always been a writer Yes, I've always been a writer, but acting is the fir- is the thing that you see first, if that mm, makes sense. Yeah. So it's the thing that's on your telly, EastEnders, or whatever it is that you watch. For me, it was EastEnders or CBBC. Like you see that, and you go, "Ooh, I want to do that." Did you the have writing. a CBBC favourite? Oh my days, Kaching. Oh, 
acting was the first thing because you're like, oh, that's something I can do. I can visibly see myself being represented. It kind of, you know, mm. it, it feels like there's a there's a direct route in that. And then you start to learn about all the other stuff. You start to learn mm. a bit about writing. I didn't I didn't think I, I wasn't a confident writer because I'm dyslexic. So it, it, at first I was like, mm. oh shit, I can't I can't write. Um, but you know, you find your ways. You find your ways through it and. Yeah, then you suddenly back up on, on directing. I came into a point um, where I was probably in my teens where I kind of learnt about directors. Mm. But I always thought directors were like old white guys. So well, they, they were, were for, really. for they many, were, many, many years. Yeah. And so, it's still very prevalent. So I was like, oh, I have to do this in order mm. to do this. So for me, it was like, I have to act and understand that before I direct. So I went down that route and then later found out that all my peers existed and Mm-hmm. You know, they were the Kwame Kwayamars and they were the Michael Fongs and the Paulette Randalls and Mona Hammonds who were directing it. It was like, oh, yo, these are directing. We can, we can do that now. We can mm-hmm. start now. Mm-hmm. That's when the shift happened for me. So you, you say you're just like, I'm neurodiverse as well, mm-hmm. so I have ADHD. So, yeah, I, now when I look back on my school, I'm like, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and drama was the thing that I, I really loved. You know, I was the first person to read. I was the first person to volunteer in, in, in the circle and all of that. How was mm-hmm. school uh, for you, Dan? Was it, was it yeah, tricky? My, my, my primary school, if I remember... These are only things that I'm, I'm starting to admit now. Like these are things I've never admitted before. And I think it's really important to actually disclose these things for other people who are dyslexic and think 100%. that this is not for me because I can't access. Hundred percent. So when I was in when I was in uh, primary school, I was in a special. It was special needs at the time. That's what it was called. So I was in a special needs class. But I enjoyed reading. I loved comics. But I just couldn't. It just took me a little bit longer to comprehend stuff than than everybody else, and I couldn't quite understand why. And my mum was always like. You know what? If you if you come out of school and you get a job, that's all I need. <laughs> she was like, that would be it for me. And I and I, and, you know, you kind of internalize that stuff a little bit, don't you? Because I had mm. two older brothers who were really smart. My my middle brother was the smartest out of us all. My my oldest brother was really good at maths, so he always had a way out for some. And my mum was like, boy, if you just use your hands, man. Don't worry. <laughs> like, use your hands, you'll be fine. And she 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 admitted to me recently that she was properly worried for me. So, like year six, I, I remember getting really angry. My my friend reminded me of the, reminded me of this the other day. Mm. I couldn't. I thought in, I had said in my head that because I was away, that I was I, I was behind in class. But actually, I was just behind because I was dyslexic, and I just couldn't yeah. read really well. So I just remember like flipping tables and mm. kind of uh, being quite angry when I was younger because I just couldn't quite get it so I was never the one to kind of volunteer to jump up and read but I'd always be the one to volunteer and jump up and do an improv or yeah, jump yeah, up and do yeah. something else because that 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 kind of sat with me and I, like I said I knew stories and music helped me quite a bit but it was hard man it was hard and then I, I worked really hard in year 10 and I think just everything really clicked for me my brother spent a lot of time with me I had to leave home my mum was like you're gonna go and spend some time with your brother in South London and um I, I did uh, I didn't get to have my, my holidays like everybody else and everything just started to click. I don't know if, if it was like his methods of teaching me, if it was more of the focus time that I had, but everything just started to click for me from, from about year 10. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I can get around this. I know, mm. how, to, I know how to hide this from people, which is kind of, it's kind of shit in it. Excuse my language, but no, it's no, kind of no, bad no. that you that you have to, you learn to hide it before you learn to You learn shame to before appreciate. you, yeah, yeah before yeah, you, you learn, learn acceptance. Exactly. And appreciate the good things about it. So. 
yeah, I went around it that way and I always chose practical modules when it came to university because those things I was always really yeah. good at. My name is Annette Linton. Come and join us for Annette. So, um, Lynette, I didn't see Blues for Alabama oh Skies. Oh my days, LJ. I can't talk to you now. It was amazing. I, <laughs> I'm I, I, yes. You look like I was being serious. <laughs> no, but I'm really glad <laughs> because I, I'm really into the Harlem Renaissance and all yeah. of that period and all of that. And I read the yeah. reviews and um, you can seem to do no wrong uh, with directing. Um, and... Um, it, you know, it just looked incredible, and um, I haven't read it, and I will. But um, do you think there's a lot of connection with then in terms of like um, the sort of the the um, there's a kind of explosion mm -hmm. of black artistry, and we mm -hmm. are in the midst of um, a depression economics. Are there? Do you think there's particular links to what's going on now to the to um, Blue Skies for Alabama. Yeah, you know what, I think so. But I do think there were links, but um, one of the loads of reasons I wanted to do it was um, to uh, highlight those that came before us as well, because I think a lot of the time right now we're talking about art as if um, particularly black British work or black or like African American work, like, oh, it's just happening now sometimes. And actually like making that play and all those wonderful people that Dan mentioned before as well that came before us, part of the reason why I wanted to do blues was like to highlight the people that came then, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, and actually in the play, the characters talk a lot about Langston Hughes. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin Langston in the Hughes, sun? Josephine Baker, all these incredible, incredible black artists who paved the way for us, mm. you know? And so um, that was, super exciting because it reminds us of that and then also places us like where we are now so i do think there were parallels mm. but also it's really important to be like yo let's remind ourselves what came before you know absolutely um, and i think that show did that while talking about contemporary issues that need to be talking about spoken about now yeah but set back then does that yeah. make sense what yeah I mean? absolutely and i think for sort of you know for young black British people who um, may not necessarily know about that that sort of time and I was always really into jazz and that mm. whole era um, so I was always and that's really for me um, finding black work started through um, finding African-American work well yeah and yeah um, like Langston Hughes when we were talking and when I was talking to the writer Pearl she'd be like oh yeah Langston everyone knows Langston <laughs> and I was like no 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 they yeah. don't actually a lot of people that have gone to who know Langston Hughes' work have gone to find his work because we're mm. interested, you know what I mean? They don't teach Langston in school. Yeah. Yeah. So that was super important and we actually used his poetry and made it into song. So Dream deferred. So people would, yeah, mm. exactly. We Pictures. used And we were singing, uh, Samira and Giles were singing. Oh, I'm sad you didn't see it, LJ. They were. I was going to yeah. ask if there was like an online version. <laughs> there is actually, I'm going to, I don't even know if they haven't announced it, but I think we filmed it. So mm. I'm sure it's going to get well, if you get Released. the links at all, we can then put it on. Yeah. We can put them at sort of with the info. That would be NT great. NT at home or whatever. Like, yeah. um, there'll be a version of it. It won't be going to cinemas. We didn't do that version. But, um, yeah. So, the answer to your question, yes. But also really important for us to see those that came before. And mm -hmm. and teach the youngers about that as well, you know. And let them know who who these people are. 
and realise that black history isn't just for October. Exactly. <laughs> All February. All February, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. February in the States. It's February it? in the States, right, yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and we're going to get onto some of your work, as, uh, Dan, because I've read Pitch. I didn't get to see um, High Table, unfortunately. Sorry. I think it was like oh. pandemic time and there were some yeah, bits yeah. and bobs that happened yeah. and I, yeah, when I was, was... going to go in, it got... I think someone got COVID or something like that and I didn't manage to see it, which was a great shame. But it's interesting that you said um, about people who led the way mm-hmm. um, and you're working, both of you are co-directing August in England with yeah. Lenny Henry, who really led the way yeah. for uh, black yeah. comedians when there weren't any. Mm. Um, and I think he's really important in terms of um, black, British TV mm-hmm. comedy history. Um, what's it like working with Lenny? And I'm very much looking forward to the show. If there's any tickets left, um, yeah. yeah, I Let's completely agree with what you just said. Um, just to say, yeah, Lenny is yeah, Lenny's definitely one of the shows that we've been standing on for sure. He's been a, he's been an absolute delight to work. Yeah, honestly, great. he's so. Like the funny just doesn't turn off. So he just keeps going. <laughs> yeah. Like it oozes out of him. So you'll be sitting with him and you'll be going through something that's really like, you might be talking about a really trauma you know, a really traumatic <laughs> thing, but he just finds the funny in everything and yeah. he finds the comedy in it all and it just allows you to really absorb whatever you know, whatever we're talking about really easily. He just he doesn't stop, he's relentless. And he's it's so refreshing to see someone of that age, you know, of that experience being so hungry to like make work that is relevant and poignant and um, and powerful and like not shy away from you know who he is what he's done his own history like really not shy away from that I think that's been really really refreshing actually it's been amazing working with with Lynn and Dee um, to kind of help Lenny and support Lenny to make the show and just kind of like a privilege to sit down with someone who's such a mastermind and as Dan said has so much experience and just like the first day he came in he sat he's written a, a draft of the monologue because it's a monologue it's just him on stage and he just read it in his mind he just read it to us man performed that he was yeah. sitting down and he performed it he was ready he like was he was ready, ready to, go, to go we were like yeah we it was listen I was like wow this is such a moment like I, I like quite emotional actually mm. this is someone who I grew up watching who's sitting in a room with me reading his piece and asking for feedback but also yeah. just in his element yeah. hilarious mm. yeah. emotional and he's just sitting at a table so it's going to be I cannot wait to get into rehearsal with him because I think we're going to learn so much yeah. and that's and that's the wonderful thing about theatre and being in rehearsal with incredible actors is as directors we learn so much from yeah. them and so we're going to learn so much from Lenny and just to, to repeat what you said, he really did pave the way. And I think it's really super important. I just assume, because we grew up watching him, everybody knows who he is. They, they don't. But they don't. They don't. And, and uh, I mean, I would love to interview Lenny because um, his timeline is my life. And now there was a programme called Tis Was, um, and it was a kids' programme, and it was rebellious. <laughs> it was mental. Um, and he played two black characters. He played Trevor McDonough, and he used to do this fake news reading. And then he played this Jamaican character who had these dreads and used to eat condensed milk sandwiches. There was nothing, there was nothing on children's television like that. He was the black face, he was the go-to black face. And even when he did his first um, appearance at New Faces, his, he was doing impressions, but the reveal was, he's black. 
he was doing white voice it was new faces it was a talent show um and he was doing these voices and then he revealed (gasps) so you know you're like what this man had to go through you know and not always getting love from the black community in the beginning you know um so yeah what an icon it must be just really powerful to be in a room with him and have the opportunity to work with him real legendary real legendary in a room just full of legends you know what i mean so it's yeah it's been it's been an absolute delight working with him and just hearing his story because you know, naturally when you're writing something you're writing something that's so personal to you you're you know you're putting yourself in it so just mm. just hearing his side of you know his side of the 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 um the coin is like it's, it's been really important to us and, and our development but mm-hmm. I, I think that will you know it will tell in the show itself and everyone come see it man because yeah, it, it's gonna it, be dope. it, so it you really go- is three generations as well it's, it's yeah. a kind of intergenerational piece as well so so you're when when are you going into rehearsals for this then 28 or 7th? 27th, yeah. <laughs> as soon as I said it, I did yeah, that as well. Yeah. 27th of March. Okay, and then April, is it end of April? Towards the end of April, April yeah. it opens, yeah. yeah, and it runs throughout May, basically. And it's selling quite well, well so do yeah. get tickets soon. <laughs> I will. Payday is <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I can't wait, I can't wait. Dan, red pitch. Oh. <laughs> Outstanding. Loved it absolutely loved it i saw it several times as well and i have adhd so my attention can can wane didn't at all loved it it was really brilliant so we get red pitch uh, it was a play that dan uh, directed here um and it's a play by terrell williams and um it, it was just a beautiful story of friendship football which i know you're very very passionate about. <laughs> Very, very passionate. Maybe too passionate, but yeah. Um, so if you had to choose between theatre and football? Oh, dude, don't ever let me choose. I mean, that's the beauty of Red Pitch, isn't it? That I could put the both together, and I'm sure I'd be doing that at another point as well, putting both things that I love together. So um, I never have to choose. That's so good to say. <laughs> I'm not choosing. Choose. I'd rather die than choose. What I'm, I loved about I'm that... pretty amorous in that. <laughs> what I loved about it, and this is this sort of leading on to another question, was that this was a story about three boys on a council estate, and it was about dreams and friendship, and in that were no stabbings, no drugs, none of that. It was so gentle and delicately written and well-handled, um, and it was just really incredible. I just, you know, it just blew me away. So, how important is it for you to tell positive black stories? Yeah. So, I mean, for us, it was it was it, it was imperative that we were able to tell that narrative and, and hold that narrative in a space like a bush, like it just felt like it belonged here, and it and you know, and it will always feel like it belongs here because that's exactly what we do. We tell us, you know, we tell all sides of the story and out there we know that we've got that we've got that knife crime playing and we've got the shooting up playing we've got all various you know ideas of how people see a black community or ideas of how we see ourselves but actually for us the the idea of of representing joy in, in, in such a way and in a way that feels like very real and feels very close to us was so so important and um Terrell was very conscious of of what he was putting in there and you know I lived in a council estate and of course I saw the bad stuff but 
I also saw the beauty of it. I also saw what community meant. I also understood that there was a village there that, that cared for us and looked after us and really helped us to grow up and grow up as, you know, in, grow, up, grow up as individuals who, who, who could be productive and, and, and um, contribute beauty and love and, and, mm. and all those other things. So I think Red Pitch really, really depicted that very well. And yeah, it just, it just felt so necessary at a time when we were coming out of a pandemic and you know, we, we have several protests and we're looking at the world in such a different way now. It just felt imperative that we were bringing out love and we, we brought joy to the stage and that people can come and enjoy it and go, actually, I don't need something that is so traumatic and dramatic at this moment. I can just come here for the love and I can just come here for the joy and mm. the friendship. And yeah, so Red Pitch felt, it felt like a seminal piece for the time. And yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that it still resonates in people you know, years after, when they're sitting down and they're thinking about, oh, what would I take my child to? Yeah. It would be something like Red Pitch, or that it gets quoted in, in, in other interviews or conversations where people are like, oh, yeah, there's something like Red Pitch, or something like Blues, because Blues did the same thing. It showed us at a period of time, even, where there was joy, mm. even in the hardship and mm. the time. So, yeah, Red Pitch does does that, and, and, I, and I hope it continues to do that in people's hearts and still manifest and marinates in them. Um, to produce that joy and love and know that that exists in those spaces mm. i mean you t you talked about this a little bit with um fabria is it fabria Bria, Bria yeah. king yeah, yeah king. who is a associate drama therapist mm -hmm. and you worked with her on blue orange and on the high table and i was i watched the little interview that you did and i thought that was just really amazing that you got a drama therapist involved because i think that's like taking care um of she people's. did blues as well oh she did right yeah. wow so how does that work how how do you incorporate a drama therapist into your directing process well i think it's I, i'm just going to just quickly comment on what dan was saying because blues was the the, the the first, the first reason I did it was because it was the first play I'd read in such a long time where it was just five black people existing and, mm. and, and being friends. That's what the first half of the play is, is them just being friends on stage. First time I'd seen a black doctor on stage, I realised, at that time, if you know, in 1930. And, um, and so there's a lot of, lot of joy in blues, particularly in that first half, and lots of laughter. But then there's stuff that happens in the second half that is hard um, and, is, and is traumatic. And it was really important... Uh, because of the themes that we were dealing with, so um, not to spoil the play, but mm. there's a conversation around abortion. Mm. And so it was really important that, yes, we had all that joy in the space, but then there's that conversation. And those are hard person personally for people to talk about, mm. but also collectively, how do we make sure that it's a safe space? So mm. Babria would be the person that should be in rehearsal with me, should be observing and, and seeing how we all work together. And then she would hold space herself and talk about these issues or, have one-on-ones with the actors because if you're going every night doing a two and a half hour show and at the end of the show you're talking about abortion and living through that experience every single night going from the highs of laughing and joking mm. to that conversation and it was tense that mm. you know that yeah. the play where they get to some of those characters that your body doesn't know it's not for real <laughs> your body is mm. acting those emotions out every night and so it was really important to have a safety net and someone so wonderful that we're in that space where actors could turn and go, how do I switch off from this? So to have those one-on-one -on -one relationships with her, so I'm not in that space or the stage manager's not in that space, yeah. but also collectively in the rehearsal room, maybe every two weeks she'd come in and just hold space for us to talk and cry mm. and, 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 you know, just be together. And it's super, super important, I think. Yeah, I agree.
I really agree. And it takes me on to this question about... Um, um, well, do you think the pandemic had any kind of um, impact in terms of like understanding mental health? Because I know Blue Orange tackled mental health issues. You're quite interested in, um, you know, supporting artists in terms of like mental health within directing yeah. and also doing work around that. Did the pandemic sort of change that working process in a way? Did that make it yeah. more... I think it did, didn't it? But I mean, that's the reason why we that's the reason why we we brought Rebrea in actually because you know because of all of what happened through the pandemic and everything that everyone had gone through, it felt necessary that we had someone who can hold that space mm -hmm. and um, and not just absorb that, but really allow people to understand what was happening globally, but also what's happening internally and for them and how we might sometimes you know take those 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 kind of big events that are happening globally and internalise them mm -hmm. and, you know, grapple with it ourselves. So we needed someone that could do that and do that professionally, but also understand our process that we make work here that is very personal, yeah. like that we can't run away from. And that's, that, that is also the beauty of the bush is that we make work that is very personal. Every writer that comes here is somehow talking about themselves in some way, shape or form, mm. no matter how much they deny it. There is a, there is a, there is a mirror hold up to them. And um, and that takes a lot of work. So even Terrell, for instance, he, you know, he was writing about himself in Red Pitch. He mm. was writing about the people that he grew up with. And um, like Lind was talking about Rabria coming in and holding space for the actors, it was so necessary that Rabria was in holding space for the writers, yeah. you know, yeah. and holding space yeah. for yeah. some of our, our team members as yeah. well who, yeah. who, who, who struggled. Mm. Uh, many of us did throughout the, the time of the pandemic. So it's and, just, still are, and still you know? are, and still yeah. are, because exactly. that's the thing that I was talking exactly. about literally yesterday, saying that like we all, all of us went through this massive trauma yeah. thing that we weren't sure what was happening. Mm. We were literally day to day trying to work out what is this thing, yeah. And then we've come through it, but we haven't really because we're now kind of not even talking about it anymore. We're all yeah. just back to normal, but we've got this, <laughs> and we've yeah. got this massive thing over that yeah. we've had maybe a year and a half or even two years longer, longer yeah, yeah. of being in our houses, being terrified. Not touching anyone. Not touching anyone. I mean, I live alone, so it was right? like, it was like, suddenly, God for my cats. Exactly. <laughs> and then suddenly you're back to normal. And it's like, well, what was normal? And also like, uh, I feel weird. I don't feel that, you know? And mm. so it's so important that Wabri is still here mm. and that these conversations are still happening mm. because our government aren't having them. The country yeah. is not having them. We've all sort of just pretended like, it well, happen. it didn't happen, and it did. People died, people got on their own. It was a horrible time. You know? And then we've, had all, we've you know? had all these cuts as well had all the cuts uh, to, and... to mental health, so there's there's less access for people to actually, um, exactly. you know, to to access any kind of particular help. And, you know, we know that the, the rate of uh, trigger warning, that the rate of um, suicide um, went up exponentially, yeah. Yeah. Um, and violence against women and children went up. Um, so there's all these byproducts of uh, the pandemic. So I think, yeah, it's really important for actors and writers when they're doing difficult autobiographical work to have that support. And I think. I am Daniel Bailey, and you're listening to Black Lives Matter. On top of that, for me, it's about, and we've spoken a lot about this. It's about consistency, actually, mm -hmm. and it's about making sure that this period of time isn't just oh look at the era that that happened mm -hmm. one of the things that me and Dan always speak about is like the work here is part of part of what we do is to disrupt the canon and the idea mm -hmm. of what traditional theatre is right yeah I love and that. so um 
for us, that is like our work, full stop. It's yeah. not just in 2022 and 2023 where now everyone's going, oh, let's make black work. No, we make black work. Been that's, that, we've been, we've yeah. been making black work. <laughs> we will continue to make black work. That is who we are. And that was a conscious is, decision by both. That, that was, is, yeah. you know, when we do British and Irish stories here with a specific focus on black and Asian mm. British and Irish stories. And I think that's the thing I would I say with this conversation. It's like, well, in five years' time, are we still going to be seeing this amount of work coming through from all different theatres? And if we're not, then that's the problem. Yeah. Because we need to get to a point where we are the canon. And, yes. and I think yeah. that's my point I was trying to make before, where it's like, it's not just like, oh, okay, I'm going to read my black British novel now. I'm going to watch <laughs> my one black British play. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. that. that We just exist in this conversation and we are here. You know what I yeah. mean? And I think we're not... I think I'm hoping that we are seeing that happening, but yeah. I still sometimes think, okay, in two years' time, is our work going to be in the West End? Because we need to, I constantly remind myself that, like, the first black British play in the West End was in, what, 2018, 2019? Yes. What was right. it, Misty? Uh, Nine Night? Was it Nine Night before Nine Night. Or was it Misty before Nine Night? Misty or Nine Night? And do you know what, and the, the, what was it, the opera, the, the, is it the Royal Opera House? They just did the first um, uh, Othello cast as a black person. This is 200 years after the Royal Shakespeare Company and they're like, look at us! And it's like, no. And I think the guy who's playing it was like, you need to be embarrassed about that. No, it's not like something you should be proud of. But but do you see what I mean? And that's what I'm, I think that's what I was trying to talk about when I'm just saying that like, I still still feel that we're still in a place where it's like, oh, look at this university doing its module on this thing and look, shouldn't Mm. we be proud? Nah, bruv, you should just be doing that. And it should just be part of your conversation it should just yeah. be part of the curriculum it should yeah. just be part of the canon mm. because our work is that you yeah, know? it's history in it like, it is like history. history isn't just it's, it's history it's just it's history just it's like, like it's world it's just world it's just world history and i think you know, you know um because you know european history is bound up with kind of like colonialism and white mm. supremacy that you know it's it's not the only goddamn culture you know um mm-hmm. so you know and it's like uh, when people are oh, we're gonna go see a black film well it's a film, film. that was yeah, all yeah. the way through my childhood you know i was yeah. going oh this is i'm just off to see a white film yeah. you know, just, <laughs> you know that's what i'm always interested in, that's in, what in stories yeah. whoever yeah, yeah. it is yeah. but i'm not going oh well that's a that white doesn't film mean that's that, a white it's book. that thing what dan was saying about you know that the specificity in the conversation and that is art you know what i mean it's mm. like but that is the point where I'm like, in 25 years, are we still yeah. going to be going, yeah. oh, you know, I can't, I, like, are we going to see Certain Fit is only still programming one black yeah. show yeah. because we've got past this era or whatever we want to call it. This I morning. don't know, but you know? maybe in 25 years, everyone will just be like brown. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what they're saying, isn't it? Like, yeah. There are going to be, it, like, mixed race people will be the dominant culture across the world and like, then I mean, everyone doesn't need to talk about it. Then we just, we're just, we are who we are, right? Uh, yeah, uh, there's, there's I mean, even English people are, are, are mixed race. Yeah. You know, this is a melting pot, and it always has been. The UK has always been a melting pot for 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 many, many, many cultures. Exactly. I mean, a lot of the stuff was all, you know, a lot of very, very old texts is all written in in like Latin and French. You know, so um, it's it's mixed. So it's been a melting pot. I suppose yeah. the answer to your question is: Let's see in five years' time how many mm. more how many more Black British plays have been in the West End. You yeah, know what I mean, how many more Black British films are continuing to be made? Okay, so this takes us to um, what advice would you give to budding directors, especially those that come from backgrounds that don't necessarily have that much access to the arts? I'd say keep making work. 
it's so hard to, to, to be discouraged because you're not getting, um, I mean, it's so easy to be discouraged because you're not getting those funding applications going through or, you know, you're not getting the backing that you, that you, that you deserve actually sometimes, but you just got to keep making work. I, I, I can't stress that enough. We had a, we had a chat this week, didn't we? And it just, it just felt like, you know, it's, it's easy to be like, yeah, I didn't get that. And so I didn't make that thing. It's like, no, I make the thing. Make the mm. thing because actually, when you get into the conversations with people, we want to know that you've made the thing. Mm. We want to know that you strive to make the to make the thing. And it might not have been easy, but mm. that puts you just it just separates you from the person that that had the thing there, had the opportunity, but didn't really make it. But you've gone out your way to make it. Might not have been in the best light, but you know we can see that us ourselves. You know, two two directors who got up and made the thing. Mm. Two writers who got up and made the thing ourselves. I picked the coffee, and I carried it to market. But we see that, and when we see it again, when we see ourselves reflected in the, the new generation coming up, mm. we're only going to be like, yeah, come through, come through, come all the way through. And I built the railroads under someone else's whip. So I'd say, yeah, <laughs> just make the thing, make it, do it. I would say, and I've said this a lot, so I'm sorry if, if I'm just repeating, I, I, I kind of try and um, talk about Baldwin, James Baldwin quite a lot, and he's got mm. that quote that's on the wall here, which I always, I should, by now I should know it word for word and I still fuck it up. <laughs> sorry, I'm allowed to swear. You absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I still fuck it up every try, time I try and say it. But he says, uh, the space in which I'll exist will be the one that I make, basically, yeah. is the kind of vibe yeah. of it. Yeah. And I think that is the thing that you have to hold on to in this industry that like if you're a young person and or an older person who wants to get into the industry and you're like it's not for me you have to realize that it is for you and mm. it will be because you'll take up the space yeah and it'll, it'll make it your space do you know yeah. what i mean yeah and absolutely. i think that i think that we didn't hear that enough back in the day you know what i mean mm. because of the people who were running this industry and as we said it's slowly shifting and so we need to be screaming that that like whoever you are there mm. is space for you to tell your story that and and if you feel like you're not welcome into that space then make the space, you yeah. know what I mean? And that's not as simple, and I know I'm not just saying that you can do that yeah, overnight, yeah. but like that's what we try and do here at the bush. We try to leave with our heart and make it a space that everybody feels comfortable in, you know? And I think there's a quote that I love by Audrey Lord, which is, you cannot dismantle the master's house using the master's tools. Mm. Exactly. I love exactly. that. Exactly. That's um, exactly it. And there's also a lot of things that I realise, you know, it, when people think about art or creatives or comedians, you know, and you haven't, like, you know, that it's for someone, it's other people that do it, you know, mm. but those other people are people, so, you know, it is Just for like us you. too. Mm. We're going to talk about Black Apron. So, what's really <laughs> interesting is that, Lynette, when you joined the Bush Theatre yeah. in 2019, is that right? Uh, I think, it, yeah, Two, end of 2018, beginning of 2019, yeah. You brought down with you. You've known each other for a while. What's the connection between you two? Let's talk about Black Apron because this is based on the fact that you both worked no, at. He's not. See, that's different, the different Daniel Bailey. Bailey. Oh my god! I've... <laughs> yeah. Where... So, the other Daniel Bailey that you met. He also has locks. It's very confusing. It's very confusing. <laughs> it's alright. It's so it's, confusing. It's very confusing. Two Have Dan, I met the two other Daniel Bailey yeah, yeah. with locks? He loves you. He's like, is LJ work? I said she's gone now. Both. Both. He's my best. Face. I'm terrible with names. He's yeah. with me all the time. Yeah. But, he's but let's called, talk about black people anyway. Black all black people look the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, about tell us about is. yeah. So uh, Black Apron is a uh, theatre and film production company that uh, me and my two best friends launched. I don't even know when we did it. 
2016 maybe, um, maybe earlier than that. We used to work in John Lewis Food Hall, the oh, three wow. of us, and we used to wear black aprons, like the Food Hall aprons. That's where the name comes from. <laughs> <laughs> I came up with the name, whatever they say, they put, it was me. And, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, so yeah, we started that um, because uh, Gina wanted to do film, I was doing theatre, Daniel wanted to produce, and we were just like literally going, let's just set up our own company. So originally it was like, oh, we have a company together, but then slowly, you know, then we registered on company's house mm. and, it, and it became a real thing. Mm. And then when I got the bush job, I took a bit of a step back and the boys have completely run with it and are now kind of like, I'm going to say, one of the leading sort of filmmakers for theatre. So they're filming everything. Mm. So oh, wow. all the stuff that is, a lot of the stuff that's online, Black Apron filmed um, during the pandemic trailers film performances film performances like across london scenes. like a lot of lot of theaters across london so bricks and house have used them lyric have used them well we Court, we've used them national youth theater Fantastic. so the boys have and i and I, that's them that's not me they've gone you can take credit for the name <laughs> i'll not, take credit for the name the but, Dan, <laughs> but daniel and gina have done so much work to establish them to establish the company and it's incredible so um that's where it comes from and uh, yeah, and so we're hoping that going forward with TV and film projects, that that company name is part of the stuff that we do together yeah. going forward as we move into telly and, and film. And I love that actually, um, as a, a product of the pandemic, we learnt new ways to make art. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just about to turn my spare room into a little uh, performance space, like half cabaret space, half um, studios, podcast interview space. Um, and all the streaming that we did and you know I made a little short film over the pandemic you know and that kind of stuff and I love actually this is what I love about art thrives art is a living thing that can't help but just spring forth you know even, you know and sometimes more in times of real great difficulty um, and I just love how the pandemic changed you know the way that, um, that that we were working but also gave us access to all this film stuff and mm. streaming stuff and I think that's a really good thing for theatre especially for people mm. who can't access it and can't afford it you yeah. know um, so before we get onto the future projects which is when we're going to wrap things up I just want to talk about um, my name is Leon <laughs> oh and um, I haven't read the book yet, but I will. Mm. And um, and I know the book is uh, written through the eyes of him. And I just love the way it was directed. It was a really beautiful, heartbreaking, but also joyous um, film. And um, and I just love the direction. I love the way it's seen through childlike eyes. So the shots. There's one particular shot where the baby just goes like that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. My days, I mean, it used I to be like he's watching. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Um, it's so like, we just kept the camera on him <laughs> so we can get all his reactions. Yeah, and just so many outstanding performances. Mm. So give me a minute. So um, for those of you who haven't seen, my name is Leon. It's a book based on Kit DeWall's debut novel, and it's told through the eyes of Leon. So, um, do you want to talk a little bit about it, actually? Can you just say Cole? Right? I know you're going to Cole you're Martin, talk yeah. About Cole, but Cole's performances. Yeah. In, in order to get that, uh, if you don't know, directing is flipping difficult. <laughs> it feels quite. It feels like an easy thing because everyone goes, "Oh, you just come, you jump on, and you kind of interpret the script." No. To get the performances out of Cole that you've got, Lynn, was so incredible. Because, you know, as a 
you know, as a young person, sometimes you, you don't have that full understanding, that full experience of, of the world, right? And Cole doesn't, that's not necessarily Cole's life, right? Mm. And for you to pull that out of him requires so much delicacy and detail and love and like an understanding of the person as well as their experiences. So, yeah, just to say that when we talk about Leon and the, the, the three amazing people that were part of it, I mean, there were so many, but yourself, Shola, you know, Kit, to create something as beautiful, as special as that is, is yeah. Yeah, yeah, Cole was incredible. Um, is he there was, anything you want to talk about the process? Uh, yeah, it was it, it was a really interesting process. As Dan said, so Cole Martin, who played the lead, the, he was, when we filmed it, he was 13. And so he's in every single scene. <laughs> so he can only work five hours a day. It's a 90 minute film. Already you can see the stress. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, so it was hard and I'd never made a film before, never directed a film before. I'd done a couple of little music videos with the Black Apron Boys, but mm. like, um, I ne- I, I'd, I'd only done theatre, so to jump from theatre to film like that was a, a journey. Mm. Um, and I'm super, super proud. I'm a bit emotional about Leon this week because it's coming up, like people are talking about it again, which is, and last night we were at the Broadcast Awards and a lot of people were like, Leon! And it's interesting when you make a film like that because we made it in 2021. Mm. I, we completed it took a long time to edit and then it kind of feels like it's over there and then mm. it comes back there's like waves of it coming back and I'm like oh like it, I really yeah I put a lot into that as did the crew shout out Rem Conway and Dave Pym who were my um, Dave was um, my uh, mm. DP mm. and uh, Rem was uh, uh, Cole's acting coach mm. and they're my friends for life now you know like when you work on a project but I'm super super proud of it it's still on BBC iPlayer, only for like three more months, and then I don't know what happens, it disappears, apparently. People, please, so. please, please, please watch. And Shout I out Malachi Kirby as well. Malachi, that's what I wanted to talk about. He yeah, was just like, so brilliant, and he? it was like, he, you know, just in the story, he comes along at, yeah. at the right time, yeah. and I love how he's like on his bike, you know, yeah. with his red, yellow, and green stuff. I know, going that out. outfit in it. You know what, they gave me that outfit, I remember it coming to me going like, look at me. I'm I like, love all the allotment stuff, yeah. you know. Oh, and Lenny Lenny, as well. Lenny's in it and I was like yes <laughs> and it was just just so brilliant and um, what year is it set in? it's like the 1980s yeah so that's why I think it resonated with me because yeah. I was a teenager during the 80s and yeah. um, and there was a lot going on in terms of um, you know I remember being at school when the Brixton the Toxteth riots uh, St Paul's riots mm. in um, um, I actually got attacked by oh. um, someone but they were friends put me up against a, a hut and I go, why are you doing this? Because you're black. Uh, and my mum wrote some big-ass letter to the school. And then I did a speech about racism in an English class. It was like pin drop. <laughs> so um, a lot of the stuff really resonated uh, with me in terms of... Because the 80s was a very, very difficult time mm. for blackness. Mm-hmm, there was mm-hmm. a lot of National Front. There was a lot of yeah. nastiness going on. I and mean, also it's set in Birmingham, which I think is really important mm-hmm. to say. Because um, that... It's just lovely to see Birmingham on telly and also represent Birmingham. Yeah. And that was such an important thing for us and, and to hear the voices, you know what I mean? And yeah, talk- I mean, my dad's from so Birmingham, so I was up in Birmingham getting my curly perm, wet look. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving marks on sofas when I got up. You know. um, yeah, so I remember this. So, yeah, it was good to... Um, I mean, Birmingham was pretty ugly back then in the 80s. Mm. It was tough, it was tough. It's, yeah, it's where a lot of my family came when they came from Jamaica. But I've got an affinity to it, man, and it's, 
yeah, yeah it, it, was, it was definitely tough but again like you can see through the film how the community came together particularly the black community in, yeah, in Bramford and, and that still exists now mm. so yeah yeah I mean you know I, I lived in a rural area so when I used to go and visit my dad in Birmingham, I'm like, black people, 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 you know, and it was just, you know, I could get my hair products and I could get my, you know, back then it was the straightening, the TCB, but now it's natural. But yeah, it was, yeah, it really resonated. And I think it's important actually for people to understand actually how things were because often it's forgotten, especially by people who don't know. Again, the same thing we were saying before, right? And that's why it was so beautiful to make it and and uh, really research and actually just live that and listen to the music by the way like mm -hmm. I just like you know talk and have those conversations so those allotment scenes were like my favorite to film because it transported us back but also the community element of that was just so special and allotments are so special mm. they the are and they're so and they're British so, like, as the well community of places, the community yeah. of that you know anyway yeah, so, yeah. yeah. but yeah I mean I think Lem Sisse um uh, sort of mention something about that and I guess there's, a, there's um, My Name is Leon is an outstanding transfixing film if awards don't follow then the world isn't right and I just read um, My Name is I cried on the tube that when I read that last book. one I just it's went a, <gasps> like this I just cried that, that last line yeah, I got goose oh, bumps no, up my face yeah that would be great if that would would yeah. be um yeah I, I think gosh. it is I think it's happening oh gosh that would be great well we're kind of we're kind of at the end and all we're going to do now is we're going to talk about um What's coming up for the both of you? Future projects, what you're working on now, what you're working on in the future. And is there something, I know this is another question, this is so ADHD going, I've got a question for you and then give you four. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, what's coming up? And is there something or a, a subject matter that you really want to grapple or something that you think needs to be um, tackled? Well, something just came out yesterday, didn't it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so yeah, just recently worked on a um a new mockumentary comedy that's out with uh, Channel Four called Dropped. That's literally dropped yesterday. So we've got episode one out, which is fun and exciting. It was a really good team to work with, and it's just comedy gold. So yeah, if you get a chance, check out Dropped. That you directed. So yeah. where are we finding Dropped? You can find it on YouTube. Um, any of the the kind of Channel Four. Uh, channels it should be on so I don't know if it, yeah maybe all four check on the, the the social medias and you'll see it but um yeah it was it's fun brilliant. it was really fun it was dope had a really good team so yeah hopefully more of those coming out soon well I look forward to watching that and what I'll do is put a bunch of links um to work um up on the website uh so that you can our, our listeners can click and listen and watch and enjoy the prolific work of the both of you so um yeah Lynette what's coming up August in England yes. <laughs> as we spoke about yeah. so we're very excited to be working together um and then I'm writing quite a lot um for tv so none of it's been greenlit yet but hopefully it's it will happening. it's happening mm. um and sort of segueing to your other question the sort of thing that I would love to work on or John what I'd like to work on would be maybe like a romantic comedy I would really like to do something like that. Um, segue. So I'm sort of writing some of that stuff. Yeah. That fingers crossed. 
that will move this year. But I haven't got anything to like announce yet because I'm still writing stuff. But that's the sort of vibe of like what I'd like to do is like joy and love. Yeah, mm. black, black joy and black love, like yeah. specifically, and like that that and just represent that black British joy and love together, like a love story. And I think you know, I think this is just as a caveat to that that if you're not seeing the stories that you want to see out there make them make them absolutely yeah there's a gap in the market exploit it well thank you so much both of you um it's been really great and it just yeah it flew by thank you so much for all your amazing answers thank you thanks for having us thanks for having us yay come to yoga's in england (laughs) that's the plug that's the plug (laughs) come to the yeah. Oh no, actually, sorry, we should have mentioned Sleepover. Sleepover is about yeah. to start. It's our new show um, by Matilda Obini. Um, and it's and it starts, oh my days, what date? Uh, end of February. We'll just check the actual date. I should, you know, it's one of those things. Bad. I never know the dates of shows. I'm terrible. I, let's start again. <laughs> and also, Dan, this thing at the gate. Oh yeah, yeah. We're doing um, Booty Candy, which is at the gate. Uh, Tristan's directing. It's an American piece. It is hilarious and bonkers and um, full of everything you can imagine it feels like everything everything everywhere all at once it is like it yeah and, and it honestly it's like um, it's like 10 different plays so definitely come see that and uh, next up at the bush is Sleepover by Matilda Abini. it starts on the 24th of February um, it's directed by the wonderful Jade Lewis um, and it is about four black young girls who we watch grow up over a period of time who uh, are sometimes allowed to sleep at each other's houses um, and their friendship and what they're going through and, and growing into young black women and it is going to be beautiful. It's dope. Sure. So please come and There's support. There's a quote, isn't there, on the, what does it say about yeah. becoming a woman? Roger, you're asking us things we should know that we don't know. Something <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got it in my bag. Is it the quote from Sleepover? Yeah, it's like oh saying about... We, 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 <laughs> I know it says an ode to black women. I know that's on the website. Oh, this is it. We don't get to choose when we become women, you know. Mm. Uh, yeah. I think it's. I think that's a really important thing. Because I feel like when you're a woman, <clears throat> well, you're a child and you're a person. Mm. And then the womanhood happens. You don't necessarily choose it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And your life changes. Mm-hmm. And that, you can never yeah. go back to being a person. Yeah, That's yeah. so interesting, and you know, because, yeah, yeah. I have the actual, I'm going to read this just in case it's mm. useful. Following four best friends and the connection, they swore would last a lifetime. Sleevo. <laughs> Sleepover. Sleepover <laughs> is an ode to black women, their boundless spirits and wild dreams. Mm. Yes. It's going to be really good. Can't wait. It's going to be really good. So please come along to that as well. Definitely coming. Right, so let's pause there and then we're going to do quick fire. Quick fire, quick fire, quick fire round. Okay, so we're going to do some quick fire questions. It's quick, hence the name <laughs> quick fire. Yeah. Uh, some of them are, you know, ors, this thing or this thing. You have to choose and other ones are just questions. Let's do it. It can get messy. (laughs) This is supposed to be silly, so let's get messy. Quick fire, quick fire, quick fire round. All right. Okay, go. Cheese or chocolate? Cheese. Chocolate. Favourite binge watch right now? Last of Us. Last of Us. Reading right now? The Famous Road. Scripts. (laughs) 
Dream job if you weren't a director. To be a director. Uh, a back and dancer. <laughs> Biggest joy this thus far. Spending time with loved ones. Oh, many things. But the first thing that popped into my head is our young company <laughs> and just seeing their work. Brilliant. Which is a work answer. I don't know if that's what you wanted, but yeah. No, that's fine. <laughs> what are you listening to right now or your favourite jam? Wizkid. What I'm listening to all the time is Michael Jackson and Prince. So, Michael Jackson and Prince. Gotta Nux. love them, they're iconic. <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah. Beyonce. Beyonce. <laughs> okay, we sort of did this. Favourite quote? James Baldwin's quote, uh, the place in which I exist will be when I make it. If they're laughing, they're listening. Oh, I like that. Random social media follow. Yeah, I do. Um, is it is it um, normal Matip or something like that? It's about a football player who's just like he he's just bonkers, but it's like <laughs> oh, it's called no context Matip. That's what it is. It's just wild. Okay, we'll check that out. I don't think I have one. I'm boring. I'm sorry. Well, maybe that's something that you I can will. do. I'll do one. I'll do one. Last movie you watched? Goodfellas. It might have been um, Black Panther or Wakanda. Advice to younger self? Learn to like like exercise. Like start doing that then. Because if you started doing that then, you would not be in the position you are now, which is not doing anything. Come on, Lynn, start doing PE and liking it, man. Don't be vexed. I feel the same. Yeah. No, to my, <laughs> no, no to muffin top. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all the illegal money you made, invest it in something proper. <laughs> Note to empty purse. Um, oh, I've got a social media one now. It's not fast. Go on. I follow this guy called Bomanza, and he is hilarious. And I found him by accident. And basically, he's a Canadian um, guy, and he is a comedian. And he basically just takes the piss out of the Kardashians. So he like makes his own videos, and they are so funny. And I recommend people follow him because if you're just having a day and you're like, I just need to laugh, his videos will make you laugh. They're hilarious. Okay. There you go. Brilliant. Okay. Favorite carb. Noodle, rice, potato or bread? It's got to be rice, isn't it? I love noodles, but it's got to be rice. So many versions of rice. Yeah, I was going to say rice or potato, because potato is chips as well, isn't it? It is. <laughs> so, like, rice. Did you choose cheese or chocolate? Cheese. So you get cheese and chips? Yeah. Oh, my days, cheesy chips are... Mm. Best thing. Up north, they have gravy with yeah. the cheese and chips as well. That's even better, Barry. Yeah. You see uh, why I need to go gym? You see? Why? <laughs> I wish... I had, anyway, we won't go down. Alright, favourite comfort food? Ice cream. Cheese. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> a black owned business plug. I'm like totally into this black pound thing. Have you got a black business that you might want to plug? Uh, yeah, um the, <laughs> the beards the beard surgeon who I just bought uh, an oil off. Yeah. And mine is a uh, boho locks, which is where I got my locks from, and they're amazing. And they look great. Hair. Thank you. You look beautiful. And uh, they're amazing. So nice. That's what we like—a bit of sharing of the uh, black pound. Okay. And the last one is sum yourself up in three words. Oh, we should sum each other up in three words. Yeah, let's do oh. that. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's because wow. you said that because I started thinking of words for him. Wow. Oh, well, that's good. Well, if that's the way you're going, let's go. Let's oh, we don't have to. Sorry. <laughs> Let's organically flow with that. Okay, no, I've, I've, I've got three words for you. I've got three words for you as well. Should, do you want to go first or should, should I do go one first? each? All right. 
Go first, girl. Mine's, is more, mine's is more of a sentence. Oh, really? Yeah, but I'm going to change it now. Are you sure? Yeah. I mean, it was in three words. <laughs> yeah, it was a sentence, but in three words. Chaos and vibes. Oh, that's oh. a cheek. No, 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 it's not our, because that's our thing that we say in work all the time. We say, one of us is the chaos and one of us is the vibes. So he's cheated, I feel. But it's... That is smart, and and isn't really an adjective. But it's a word. I don't want to be a grammar Nazi or anything. <laughs> and it's not an adjective. It's a word, though. It's not an adjective, not a describing word. Chaos on vibes. Chaos on vibes. Chaos on vibes. Is that for the pair of you? That's actually what we are, is chaos and vibes. That's how we work. Well, chaos and vibes, it's been amazing. It's been slightly chaotic and we've absolutely been vibing. So thank you so, 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 so much. And that's it. Thank you. That's a wrap. It's been really nice. Thank you. You've been listening to me, LJ, at the Bush Theatre with Lynette Linton and Daniel Bailey. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and on our website, blacklivesnatter.co.uk, along with links to the work mentioned in the interview.